was freaking out of. This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Salk. I got fire! Well, as great as things were for the Seahawks yesterday, that's how bad they were for the Mariners this weekend as they are swept aside by the L.A. Dodgers. Dodgers are a good team, right? I mean, no doubt, Dodgers are a good team. But getting swept, certainly not what you're looking for down the stretch here with, at that time, only 16 games left to play. Now you're on to 13. I got a text from Joe Fan this weekend. Oddly, I hadn't heard from Joe in a while, Mm -hmm. but I got a text from Joe this weekend saying, where are you at with this team? And I'm like, yeah, it's a tough question to answer. They're not playing well. They're playing worse than they were at the beginning of the season when everyone was freaking out about them. As bad as things were then, they were playing 500 baseball. Mm-hmm. They're not playing 500 baseball in September. They're not even Five close and 11. to that. Five and 11. So the difference right now is, I think, mostly on the mound. The bats have been a problem. The bats have gone back roughly to where they were at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. But the arms have been nowhere close. I mean, just where they are by month hugely, hugely problematic. You start look. I mean, whatever stat you want to look at, I always look at OPS. The OPS against, they're giving up essentially an 800 OPS in September, Brock. Mm-hmm. That's the, the whole months, staff, right? Starters, as bullpen, a staff. it's everybody. 645, 655, 672 in July, 649 in August, 796 in September. Yep. That's not Mariner baseball. So, yes, the, the offense has been problematic. And you can go look at it. It has certainly not been great, but it has been majorly, majorly different on the on the on the on the pitching side of it. And that gets even worse if you start looking at the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Bullpen ERA, or excuse me, bullpen OPS against in September mm-hmm. eight forty one. Yeah, coming off of six seventeen and six fifty four the previous two months. Yep, that's not sustainable. You just you can't have that and compete down the stretch. Yeah, and that's Cincy, and that's Tampa, and that's the Mets, who got good offensive dudes. That's the Dodgers, who's got a lineup that's just one through nine. And some of it is that, you know, but I mean, some so, of it is just you. Yes, some of it is Jerry said, just being overused and, and overtaxed in those months, right? That yeah, I, he's not going to be too judgy on guys when when they have been been tested and, and been overused in some of those spots. So there is no question that that side of it. It's not been the defense. It has been the pitching. It has mm-hmm. been been that group. So yes, as far as argument goes, why are you five and eleven in September? Yes, I'm not. I'm not going to debate that. But you said equally, like the offense has gone back to unfortunately some of what we saw through those stretches in April and May mm-hmm. and June, where the pitching carried them. Salk, where they were five hundred, <laughs> because the pitching at that time was largely, certainly your starters and even your bullpen phenomenal. And I can't help but think of Passon and Luke Arkins, two guys whose numbers I really do trust, both saying before September that their one little watch, their one little, okay, when we get to these series and we get to the pitchers and you get to these big moments, you know, can you put the ball in play? The, 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 the strikeout rate, the swing and miss, as Passon says, not even strikeout, just the swing and miss, right, where you're not putting the ball in play. That was going to be the watch for Passon, and certainly this weekend was problematic. And that it's not as if he, either the Dodgers are running out, you know, they are beat up. 
They've lost multiple starters. One of them even suspended. Even Kershaw's velo was so down, he could only go three or four innings. So it wasn't as if it was murderer's row with Framber Valdez and Verlander and like some of the some of the elite starters that you're still going to continue to see. But yeah, the strikeouts, 39 of them in those three games played a played a role for me and will play a role when you have swing and miss against good pitchers and good teams who throw strikes. That yeah, was Jeff's point. Like you're going to now face teams down the stretch here who've got quality bullpens, quality staffs, and they're going to throw you strikes. And you've got to be able to do what the Dodgers, frankly, did to you. And the one game, as you said, you really should have had on Saturday, they just hit duck farts and they just hit squibbers and they just found found holes, right? So frustratingly so at one in the morning on the East Coast that as you're sitting there watching that going, man, can we just buy one of those? Can we just get one of those? And unfortunately, in the big moment in that game, first and second, nobody out, strike out, strike out. And JP and Julio, your two best players, who you want up in that moment, and JP owned it postgame. I know. I would have felt so much better if one of them had hit into a double play. Then I just really wouldn't have been able to complain about the strikeouts. It would have been so much better if they had hit pop-ups. I just don't see it this way, man. I'm frustrated by the offense, too. you got to come through with men on base. That is certainly a challenge for them and was this weekend. But were they a good offense in August when they had an 864 OPS in 121 games? They struck out just as many times in August as they have any other month this year. You sure? I'm sorry. It was 279 in April. It mm-hmm. was two. It was 270. Nine fewer strikeouts. In mm-hmm. It was their second highest strikeout month. Mm-hmm. They strike out just as much in August. Yeah, in but July play- when they were hitting, they struck out a ton too. They strike August, out a lot. Else- That's who their offense is. It's what you yes. do with the bats when you don't strike out that matter. You want a stat that matters to me, Brock? It's not the strikeouts. Look at their walks. They've fallen off the table mm-hmm. in 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 September. Mm-hmm. They only have thirty-seven walks. They're on pace for like seventy, maybe. As this I said, month? because quality teams throw strikes in August against Oakland and Kansas City and those teams, they don't throw yeah, quality strikes. I don't strikes. agree with that. I don't think it's what the other team is doing. Right. I think it's what you're doing. Right. You aren't taking your walks. You aren't. You are swinging at the wrong pitches. That is something that is within your control. The strikeouts have been the same all year. I don't know, man. I'm not seeing. I, I, I'm just not seeing. Just looking against, at the numbers. I, th- those are the numbers. I'm telling you, I'm not seeing swinging way out of the zone. I'm seeing swinging at strikes. Quality strikes, and you're going to face quality strikes. That, I think, is Luke and Jeff Passon's point that I'm going to jump on, is when you're facing these quality teams, they're going to throw you quality pitches and quality strikes. I'm not seeing these guys flailing at horrible pitches. right? I'm not seeing them, you know, just, you don't swing at that. You could have walked. There's ball four. Like, no, these are quality pitches, and you got to try to put the ball in play. So I'm not saying this is reason number one. You're made very clear. I'm not saying you're pitching is reason number one. This team is built to pitch and they've got to do it. And you're not changing a Eugenio and Teo. It's not changing. They're two and three in strikeouts in the league. That's not going to change. And I don't want them to change because that's whom they are. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't disagree with you more on this. Okay, then talk I to don't and... give a, you know what about their strikeouts because right. they've been the same all year long. I absolutely care about what they're doing in the at-bats where they don't. They're not doing any damage. They're not getting on base as much. They're not slugging as much. They're not hitting as many home runs. They are way off in terms of their doubles. Their OPS dropped from in the high 800s in last month to 708 in September. That's not strikeouts. 
That's not doing anything. They did the same strikeouts in August, but they did damage when they weren't striking out. It's okay to strike out in baseball in the modern times. I really don't care. What you've got to do is when you don't strike out, actually hit the ball. Here's the good news. Regardless of whether or not you and I think it's strikeouts, walks, or whatever else it is, what they've done, honestly, in the last week hasn't mattered. It's a bummer. You had an opportunity to separate yourself, but Texas stinks again. The, the Astros just lost two out of three to Kansas City. Everyone is still all jumbled up within a game and a what half. What Game and a half? Game other. and a half back of Houston, half Every, a game. Everybody yep. is still jumbled up with 13 games to play. You're going to get three games in Oakland who's playing some better baseball, so you're going to yep. have to you know, show up and do what you're capable of in Oakland. Then you get a day off. And then it is go time with the ten games that are going to decide what hap- are the uh, what happens with this seven season. versus Texas and three versus Houston. That's that's your ball game, folks. Mm. That's it. I mean, it's a bummer not to beat the Dodgers, especially at home, but it doesn't really matter. You got to take your walks. You got to hit for some pop, and you got to get it done against these really, really important teams that are bunched up with you here. It's in all the there, man. You've set the table. You've done what the Seahawks did with their yep. with their tackle for loss and fumble. You evened it up. It's 14-14 in the second half. Let's go play. And right now, you're a game and a half, and you play them three times. It is all there right in front of you. And frankly, with Oakland to hopefully get right and then a day off, kind of sets the table very, very well for the final 10 games that are going to be and cause me to uh, put my treadmill right in front of the TV where I can watch all of those, and as Jerry uh, advised me, do a lot of cardio along the way. All right. Coming up next, we'll give you everything you need to know before takeaways. Get back to talking some football at 8.30. P. Carroll coming up a little over an hour from now at 9.30. It's going to be a fun morning. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Brock, how nice is it just to watch a really good football game yesterday? It was great the Seahawks won. I'm glad they did. I was actually even prepared to come in here if they'd lost in overtime and said, yeah, that stunk. Obviously, blowing a 10-point lead late was terrible. That was a really good, quality, well-played football game throughout. I just really enjoyed it. ton of guys get, I think, a tremendous amount of credit. Trey Brown with the pick six, a sack on consecutive plays. That was awesome. We talked about Tyler Lockett. He was unbelievable with the two touchdowns. Devin Witherspoon thrust into the middle of it. He came up huge. But I think that what may have been the biggest play of the day will go down as maybe the biggest play before things are all said and done in terms of turning around this defense was cut for what Nuosu was able to do right here. Single setback behind him. That's Montgomery. Two tight ends. Winged on the right side. Montgomery gets hit in the backfield. He fumbles the football. The Seahawks are there. Do they get on the ball? They do. The Seahawks have their second takeaway of the season. A recovered fumble. Montgomery hit. Gives up the ball. And it's Jaron Reed who comes up with it. And he takes a little walk to the far end zone. The fans are booing him, and he says, I got the ball. And the Seahawks have possession, <laughs> trailing by seven. First play of this second half. What an absolutely enormous play. The defense was not doing anything before that. After it, they looked a whole lot better. I'm sorry, who made that tackle? Wasn't that Chenna Nuosu? Oh, what's that? How do you pronounce that last name? Nuosu? Yeah, way to go. You've nailed it all three times. Don't hesitate. Something the broadcast couldn't do. Oh, what were they calling them? I didn't know. They screwed it. Nuasa. Uh, I don't. I don't even know. They, but they screwed it up every time. 
It was all over the place. Greg, write it phonetically on your board. N-E-W, new. O-H-O, last name Sue. Sorry, new Greg's Osu. too busy still new being Osu. mad at Pete Carroll new for, Osu. Not, for not liking Russell Wilson. New Osu. New Osu also had the pressure, by the way, that led to the pick six. New Osu also had another tackle for loss. New Osu was also very effective. You're right, man. It was a wild game. 37-31. Not many of those in the NFL. These two teams get together. Mm-hmm. It was even higher scoring a season ago, and usually you're like, ah, not great defense, huh? Just up and down the field? No. Multiple fourth down stops, three different takeaways, couple sacks. He picked Jared off for the first time in a year, and let alone what Gino did on the other side with a near flawless game. Other than the sack at the end of the game, as I said earlier, I don't know if there was a negative play. He was absolutely brilliant, elevated everybody around him. You mentioned Gino. Let me play you some Pete Carroll talking about his quarterback. Cut five, he really liked what he did. Yeah, he was so solid the whole time, and so true to it the whole time. He, he, he didn't like what happened last week. He, you know, in the second half, we didn't we didn't get done as we're capable of, and, and uh, um, he was really determined to just be in it and not not get knocked off, of course, by anything that happened in the game. And, and matter of fact, he's going in with some young tackles, and it could have been, it didn't. He believed in those guys, trusted them, and and uh, played accordingly. Yeah, Brock, he was just committed to being in it. You know, that's an important little point right there. Takeaways is going to be awesome, by the way. He said, man, there are a lot of different takeaways. But that last little point about elevating your teammates, your number four of checking the four boxes, mm-hmm. it's usually receivers, running backs, right? No, no, no. He elevated mm-hmm. his tackles. He did mm-hmm. not flinch. You'll see a lot of other quarterbacks, Hulk. Oh, young tackles. going to be right. brutal day. Got to get rid of the ball just to get rid of the ball. Not Gino, man. He got rid of it when he needed to. He stood in there when he needed to. And, man, did he deliver when it really matters the most. He's committed to being in it. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, the Mariners were only in it for one game this weekend. Kind of out of it Friday, out of it Sunday. But in it Saturday, just unable to get it done. Yeah, I thought a bunch of chintzy little hits late in the game from the Dodgers. You're right. Put the ball in play, and certainly there's a much better chance of that happening than when you don't. But, man, they got a little babbib to death, I thought, in that game. Ultimately, though, pitching looks tired. The hitting has certainly come back to earth. They've got two weeks left to go, and they got to play some good baseball. They really do. They're certainly capable of it. But <laughs> the time for uh, for giving up is, is over, right? These games where you're like, well, all right, what are you going to do? That one just didn't go your way. You've got three against the lousy Oakland team that you got to take advantage of, and then it is on like Donkey Kong against the Texas teams for the final ten. Here's the, the one thing in this anxiety-ridden, stress-filled final couple weeks of this season that I am confident about. I don't know about the pitching. I don't know about the hitting. I don't know about some of those things. And as you've liked to said before, it's sometimes just baseball. But I'm confident that a bad weekend is in, in a bad stretch is not going to sink this team. I'm confident that a little bit of Personality-wise, you mean? Yes, yeah. yes, just personality of being just the way they're wired a looser team. They went through it last year, Salt. They were terrible. 16-game win streak, dug themselves out. Then they had a bad stretch in September where Chicken Little and everything else was falling from the sky, and then they rebounded. Right This season, they've had some tough stretches. They had a brutal June. They're under 500, and then they go on the most torrid stretch in August that the franchise ever has. You're 5-11 and 11 since then. It's a bump in the road. But the JPs, the Julios, the Cows, the Young Corps, I don't think they're going to allow a bad stretch to totally submarine totally the rest agree. of this season. Totally agree with that. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, and then there was the Huskies this weekend. Ferocious performance against a Power 5 
new rival at Michigan State. They destroyed them. Michael Penix was unbelievable. 27 of 35 for 473. Brock, even when he wasn't trying to do something good, he did. He cut eight. Penix, that one is batted in the air, and it's still a completion. Jalen Polk able to run underneath it and get all the way down for a touchdown. <laughs> Dude's throwing touchdowns when he yeah. didn't even mean to. Yeah, you know it's going good then. Some 700 yards of offense. We said early in the week, this game will go one of two ways. It's not going to be – Michigan State's not going to run away from these guys. But Michigan State's going to come out with some emotion with their coach not there and everything else, and it's your job to just hit them in the mouth early. And did they ever. Right? 35 nothing, and then those guys tuck tail, and you finished them off. 700 yards of offense. But most important in these three games, Salk, I mean, I think most important, kind of like the Seahawks run defense, 2.9 yards a carry is foundationally so important that if you're going to beat Oregon State and Oregon or SC and, and through that just gauntlet that is coming, you've got to play complementary football. Now, they've been a little bit unbalanced. It's still heavy, heavy, heavy pass, though it was a little bit more run this weekend. But I'm talking complementary of a defense that can match that offense, a defense that can get stops, a defense that can intimidate, a defense with Braylon Trice and ZTF back in the fold that can get to the passer and hit and harass when you get a lead. And you play some complimentary football. You're not just talking about a nice season, a 9 or 10 win season like last year. You're talking about college football playoff. You're talking about this conference and the amount of respect that they're going to garner. A one-loss team is going to make the college football playoff out of this conference. With the way Alabama's looking, maybe a two-loss team can come out of the gauntlet of this conference and still get there. That opportunity abounds for the Huskies. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. We're about an hour away from Pete Carroll getting his thoughts on what his team did yesterday. We'll give you all of ours and a full set of takeaways. Coming up next on Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports Gino app. Throw a dart. He's got Metcalf. He is inside the one-yard line. Walker gets a handoff again. Touchdown, Seahawks! Here's Goff with the shotgun snap. Ball is knocked away! Getting his hand in there was Witherspoon. Welcome, young man. Goff wants to throw. Hot is intercepted. Three Brown. Touchdown, Seahawks! The kick is good, so we go to OT, tied at 31. Gino is looking, looking. Now he throws far side. It's Lockett. It's over, baby. Tyler Lockett, my hero. Seahawks win 37 to 31. What a game by these Seahawks. What a game indeed. It was a blast to watch. It kept, uh, Kevin Burkhart kept commenting on it, Brock, how much fun it was when those two teams get together. He's absolutely right. Maybe there is no divisional or geographic rivalry, but much like the Seahawks seem to have a little something going with Cam Newton because they would play him every year, right, and that sort of turned into something, you throw those blue ski masks and everything else into it, it sure felt rivalry-like watching that game. So good for the Seahawks, good for them to get a win, good for them to play their tail off, unlike the week before. We'll talk to Pete coming up in an hour. Before we do it, let's have some takeaways. Takeaways. Technically speaking, Geno had two games with a higher QBR last year. There, A game at Arizona. Don't really remember that one particularly well, but it's a 31-21 win. And actually, the game back in Detroit last season, a QBR of 90, which is absolutely insane. A QBR yesterday 
of 79.4, and I'd like to know where he was docked 20.6. Maybe 10 of it was on the sack that he took, (laughs) because outside of that, I can't find many plays where it was different than a season ago, where he was up and down the field in that building. The the throw to, to DK, he had to put just a step behind him, so he didn't get fully killed by that safety that that still ended up putting a rip shot on him that knocked him out of the game for a quarter plus. Touchdowns to Tyler were clutch. Out routes, play action game. We talked in the offseason, and the numbers were crystal clear. This guy, and and, uh, Greg said it yesterday, outside the numbers and his explosive throws down the field, best in the league. One of the other areas he's best in the league, the play action game. How about these numbers through two games in play action? 89.2 QBR, 81% completion, 9.2 yards per attempt. Just a, just a, a game that they had to have. Gino had to rise to the occasion. You talk about your four boxes, he checked every single one of them. And in particular, Salky, when it mattered in overtime, do not give those guys the ball again. Do not give them the ball. And Drew Locke's absolutely right. Tails never fails. And it didn't fail yesterday. They get the ball, they drive down. Huge critical win. Yes, good job for Drew uh, on the tail. So the whole quarterback room really contributed yesterday, which was great to see. I'm with you. I thought that was one of the better games Gino has played outside of whatever the heck brain fart happened in the final couple minutes of the game. He really was tremendous. And to do it without the tackles, to do it, look, I... JSN still seems like he's kind of working his way back in a little bit. I don't get the sense we're seeing the full Jackson Smith and Jigba just yet. Using the tight ends, using the running backs, etc. Totally agree. Heck of a game from Geno Smith. Takeaways. Alright, I'll start here. After what was basically an invisible debut a week ago, to use Pete's terminology, I felt the rookie class a whole lot more yesterday as a group. Right, kind of go through it. Obviously, you saw Devin Witherspoon for the first time, and we focused quite a bit of the morning on him, what he did, knocking away a fourth down pass, covering another fourth down pass, and getting off the field both times, the hit that he had right off the bat. He did get burned for a flea flicker. They took a little advantage of his aggressiveness. But if that's the worst thing that happens to him in his first game as a rookie, that's probably a pretty good sign long term. But it wasn't just him. Smith and Jigba did have, what was it, three or four catches on the day, which are five mm-hmm. catches, I think, on the day, which was nice. Charbonnet, dude, he runs hard. I see why that was a thing now in the second round. That doesn't mean he's going to become a great player, but I see what they see. I thought Derek Hall had a much better day. I saw Cam Young out there. He flashed a couple of times. He was active. Olu came into the game a few times when Brown came in and out, opened up the hole on that first rushing touchdown, which was great. And then Jarek Reed with a special teams hit. That was the hit of the day, by the way. Pummeled that dude on the punt. And Bobo had his first catch and made a really nice play in special teams as well. That's your rookie class showing up and actually mattering on the field. Yeah, the biggest step of that rookie, if it's just rookie watch, the biggest step was was Witherspoon. You had to have him. Well, he went from zero to playing, so yes. Correct. And the Prophet, I mean, this is the one time the Prophet's... And, you know, the Old Testament prophets were largely correct. KJ's a New Testament prophet. He's not going to nail every one of the prophecies. He did not think that Devin was going to be able, right? I'm not misspeaking here. Right. He didn't think he'd be able to play that much. I think he was kind of concerned, maybe some reps. You don't just ramp him back up to 100, but they did. They needed him. And from the initial drive, a little tackle on that big running back that bounced to him, and he gets him to the ground right away. 
And then he had a couple other just kind of just firm tackles. Yep. And he knocks down two passes on fourth down. It's the two fourth down stops. Yeah, it was it was a terrific, terrific What you make start. of the rest of the class? Uh, Charbonnet, step in the right direction. Olu, he got, got to take a step. I thought Derek was pretty stagnant. He, he's not using, you know, it's you're kind of getting in the game and, and, and not surprised. Like, okay, what do I fall back to, right? I'm just falling back to this bull rush. There was just no bevy of moves. It was, I'm just going to be solid. I'm just going to do my job. It wasn't, you know, anything more. So hopefully with time, there's a little more that grows with it. But, yeah, Charbonnet was, was awesome in yeah. his four carries as well. Pretty cool. Takeaways. Well, the Seahawks offense got the improvement they wanted on third downs because they were 2-9 and nine against the Rams in week one and 5-11 and 11 this week. But another area that I'm really happy to see an improvement in is the red zone. They're 7-8 and eight in their first two games of 2023 in the red zone. Last year, they were 27th in red zone efficiency with a 48% touchdown scoring percentage. So, so what's the difference there, Brock? Well, you had two touchdown runs. Uh, they're, they're, everybody that I ask at the high school, the college, and the pro level, it's a, it's the same thing. It is you got to be able to run it when they know you're going to run it. So your ability, and I thought Ken had a couple good runs, right? He had a four-yard run where there was nothing. Mm-hmm. And then he tried to <laughs> – bless his heart, he tried to jump. Um, and But he came right back <laughs> then and, and, and squirted through. So those were not negative runs. You're actually pushing people. And then the second thing, you got to have some creativity. Right? You can't run just your base stuff when everything condenses. So is that a little play action? Is that multiple tight ends? Is that the cross-country route that they hit Tyler Lockett on? Is that you know your quarterback extending the play as Geno did? Right? And I know. Route. I like that. Is yeah, that what you call that? Yeah, that's what they like to call that. Route. Is that your phrase or is that no, the it's phrase? A, no, it's a term you hear. No. It's a, it's a I like it. term. And then you need creativity. You need your quarterback to be able to extend. Question. You know Question for you question okay for you. yeah go ahead for you justin and mora if that was the seahawks and it was reversed and detroit wins a toss and they drive it all the way down and that is uchenna nuosu rushing and he gets and their right tackle does to him what Kerhan did to yeah. hutchinson are we talking are we about it today yes yeah i will just <laughs> no say doubt. that's no a doubt. trick question there's no way the seahawks would have gotten that kind of pressure <laughs> stop it <laughs> Stop it. I mean, Uche- don't make stuff up, man. There's no way that would have been an issue. Uchana got pressures. Uchana got to the quarterback. Stop. You, you know we had all been complaining a little bit about, boy, there was a huge jersey. I don't know. Can you hold his arm? But they did what they did. He extended the play, and Tyler finished. It was a little bit of a hold, but I don't know. They weren't calling a lot of holds in that game. I mean, no, it's they not weren't. like that was – if that had been the way the game had been called and they were calling a lot and then let that one go, I'd be there and say, yeah, it seems a little unfair. But that's not the way that game was being called. So, yeah, tough. tough and, I, and I would point back and say, like, we shouldn't have missed those field goals. He would have been in that situation. Yeah, there also, you, you know what else? They got the benefit of what? You know what? Give me a, Where's the takeaway music? Give me another takeaway. Brock, I'm jumping you Take in. Okay. That call is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I don't complain about refs calling, you know, this, that, and the other. That's not why you lose games, honestly. But that's not the way that game, that call is supposed to be made. What's the what is the call? What is the what is the name of that penalty? Dumb. What's the name of the penalty? Intentional grounding. What about that was intentional? To be intentional grounding, doesn't it need to be intentional? It was the opposite. 
of intentional. He's trying to hook up with Tyler Lockett. He's not under any pressure, which I was under the impression was part of that call. And he throws it on a miscommunication. They give him a 10-yard penalty for it? Absolutely absurd in every way. And the loss of down. It is ridiculous. But it did lead to one of the funniest things I've heard on a football field in a while, which is Geno Smith going over to argue with the referee and hearing this. Hold on. Where's the sound for this? Intentional grounding. Offense number seven. It's a 10-yard penalty. I'm talking to America here. Excuse me. It's a 10-yard penalty and a loss of down. <laughs> I'm talking to America here. Excuse me. That's what? <laughs> and he also kind of shoved him to the side. So Get good. Out of the way. The white what? hat right there. That was so well done. All-timer. You can hear Gina like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Intentional grounding. What do you mean? Talking. He was more livid than oh. I've seen him in a long time, too. He deserved oh. to be. It's Honestly, that's one of the stupidest calls I've ever seen. Here's the problem for Pete in that moment. He's looking for a little pound of flesh from the guy that called it. Right. And that guy is in the back end zone, right? So that poor head linesman that is just taking the brunt of all of Pete. Right. And you could see it, and as I said earlier, maybe the one guy in the building older than Pete. Whatever. Like, yeah, he's just like, yeah, he called it. But Pete, uh, he peed out of every right. It's ridiculous. It's truly one of the worst calls I've ever seen. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. There, there are times that the league going into the year, Salk, has areas that they want to have more focus. Right. Right. We're going to be intentional about taunting. We're going to be we're going to be sticklers for a uniform. Oh, there is no way they went into this year going okay. So if we have miscommunication on the route <laughs> and the guy runs an out route instead of a go, let's go for it. Let's just call intentional grounding. Yeah, that is one in, in a big miss where – do you notice that all the officials wear headsets now? Yeah. Do you know that? They kind of look like Secret Service. They all, you know, they're not big old headsets like coaches wear. Yeah, they're just but they cool. all are able to talk to one another. And I was shocked in that moment. That they didn't talk to one another just and go, hey man, there was no like, intent. It was just, a, it was just a busted route. What are you gonna do? Why would he throw? Eh, whatever. You know what? Some things are just not worth getting too deep into. But that really was ridiculous and just really bothered me. Take a wait. I've done this on a few Mondays following Seahawks games the last year plus. Shane Waldron was all over it yesterday. He called himself a phenomenal game. The mix of tight ends, the creativity in those sets, the creativity in the play-action game. How about the first play of overtime? That first play, Salk, the first couple snaps in a two-minute drill, the first play in an overtime drive are so hyper-critical to the success. And you come out, and I thought George Fant. Was that George Fant's best game as a Seahawk? Noah, but yes. Blocking. Excuse me. Doggone it. Western Kentucky Hilltopper George Fant. Was that Noah Fant's best game as a Seahawk? By far. I mean, just present, omnipresent, stretching the field, dynamic, good run blocking. Was that Colby Parkinson, one of his best games as a Seahawk? Was that Will Disley breaking tackles? I mean, that, that triumvirate best game, and no surprise, the tight end coach, I don't know if you noticed in the celebration with Tyler Lockett, there were a couple dudes without helmets on. <laughs> And the tight end coach was right in the mix. I'm like, bro, you're going to get headbutted like that dude that's going viral right now. <laughs> you see that fan that got ran on the field and, and got kicked out of the game? No. And then while the security was oh, carrying yeah. him out, he- headbutted 
Yeah. An opposing fan knocked the dude's sunglasses. He's a Bengals fan. Holy smokes. <laughs> Jeez. That was one of the most violent. And then they like tried to like choke this fan, like in, grab his <laughs> larynx, because they're like, this dude's larynx. a psychopath. Larynx. Just, he's nuts. Well, that was Shane Waldron at his very best yesterday. I, I, he's called some great games. He's been a step ahead of it. But I thought his mix of play action, I thought his creativity, I thought the mix of run game, still running it, even though they did not get huge plays out of it. It's so funny he was you said all that, because I, I thought there was some great stuff, but I was kind of shocked by two things. One, if you're the worst screen team of all time, why are you calling a screen in overtime? I'm not against them trying to call screens now and again to see if they can get it uh-huh. to work. The same way I try coffee once a year, just to see if I might finally like it. Absolutely try it. But you know where I don't try it? If it's the only meal I've got and I've got to make it work, I'm probably going with something I know I can do as opposed to something I probably can't. That one kind of drove me nuts. It obviously worked okay. out thanks to some of his other calls. And then what was with the four-minute offense? Where's the circle of toughness? Aren't you supposed to complete the circle of toughness by running? They threw the ball three straight downs. What was that about? Eh. What do you mean, eh? eh. Don't eh. 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 They've been throwing it all day. Yeah. They were 32 of 41 on the day. Complete the circle of toughness, Brock. You gotta, you gotta run the ball in the four minute offense. Sheesh. Takeaways. All right, this is one of my uh, simpler notes, but we're getting a lot of text, Matt, that we haven't talked about it yet. So this game shouldn't okay. have had to go to overtime. What the <laughs> heck, Jason Myers? Well, are you guys. Yeah. Is that just a bad game? Yeah. Or are you nervous this is. Uh, <sighs> This is an issue. You know, your predecessor, your, your predecessor saw when you stepped away for your sabbatical with mm. Ricky Williams to live in Australia and do what you did in that tent for a year. Yeah. Uh, Danny O'Neill used to say, once <laughs> kickers go bad, it's yeah. it's a dangerous, dangerous turn. It's why you see coaches turn over and flip them around like hotcakes. You saw it in the on the waiver wire and different guys ending up in different spots. Jason Myers had himself a phenomenal year. Jason Myers is a captain of this football team. Jason Myers has to respond, though. Like, let's go now. Mm-hmm. This the, the way this team is built, like, you, we, we cannot afford you missing field goals every game. That, that's that's a non-starter. Yeah, I so don't think he's at right. the, you know, he's screwed up a point yet. But, yeah, clearly you can't do what he did very often. I'm not there yet. Nope. It was one really long field goal. There was, yeah, I mean, one was on the he's north end zone last times. week. Yep. But he has Both missed. Both those are 40-yarders. Yeah, ones yep. that he should have hit by now. So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm watch. It's on the watch list, but I'm not panicking over over, over a captain just. I yet. will say early on in that game, it made me think about something Justin said to me last week. I don't think it was on air, but when after the first game, he was like, "It feels like they, you know, there's a hole in a boat or something. You plug one hole and another one springs up." Mm. So when he missed that kick early, I was like, "Oh no, they the offense looks better, and now he's missing kicks." But thankfully, yep. it's got better all around after that. Go get right. Takeaways. Okay, so if the analytics guys out there are right, and I reached out to Sando and Brady Henderson, the hitman, I said, hey, I know you guys got access to all these fun numbers over there at old ESPN and The Athletic. Give me yards after contact. Where, where do the Seahawks rank in yards after contact? Because I thought as good as they were yesterday, Salk, and once again, it was 3.3 yards carry yesterday. It was a whole lot less week one. There were still a number of plays where they're getting hit and guys are falling forward, right? Where there's a hit and the guy just slips away for three or four yards. There's a hit and there just isn't that stopping power. Defensively. Just, 
defensively. Okay, yeah. I need to know yep. kind of where where they are and, and kind of where that ranks and, mm-hmm. and help me understand because I'm just watching this game. I don't have a great feel for the rest of the league. And if the math is right, the Seahawks this year are third. This is right. This one is 100%. They are third in the NFL, giving up 2.9 yards a carry. 2.9 yards a carry. Third in the NFL. Unbelievable. 4.9 last year, 30th in the NFL. But this is where they have even more opportunity, and you've got to be more encouraged by what Clint Hurt, who I said has a big bullseye on him, man, schematically get things right, get people in the right spots. They are giving up 1.51 yards after contact, which is about 12th, 13th in the league, about middle of the pack. But that means if I put those two things together, that they are getting bodies to the ball carrier over and over and over and over again in ways they did none of a season ago. And that has got to be incredibly encouraging to be sitting there, right? So 2.9 minus 1.5 is 1.4. That's about what you're getting before guys are getting hit. That's winning football in the NFL. You stop the run, you give yourself a chance to win a whole lot of games. Super encouraged by the bodies around the football in the run game in a very different way than a season ago. Takeaways. That Geico Invasive Weeds commercial is the most Northwest relatable commercial in years. I love that commercial. They moved into the house, uh, but it's got some invasive weeds. Uh-huh. The weeds are taking over. They're attacking the kids. He's out there. Takeaway? Dude. I love it. Every it single person the in the Northwest who owns a home was like, yep, been there, done that. The only thing that was different is that the weeds didn't have giant blackberry thorns all over them. Other than that, absolutely. Morning glory. It is everywhere, man. Good luck with that. If you'd like Great a takeaway. different takeaway that was maybe more football related, I suppose I could come up with one. But I'll say this. I spent a bunch of plays, Brock, trying to focus on Dre Jones. Just who is he? What's he yeah. doing out there? Yep. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I still don't know. He did have a sack. Nice sack on a stunt. It was kind of one of those where the play came back to him after he was initially stopped, right? But uh-huh. good second effort. I liked what he did on that. I, I don't have any issues with him playing hard. I just don't see him doing a lot. I see a lot of him like running over near the end of the play. Now, maybe okay. that's because he's doing his job and he's doing what he's supposed to do up front. You know what he's and- not? You know what's not happening to Dre Jones? He's you're not, not blown seeing, off the ball. You're not seeing 55 turned and run sideways. Right. You don't see 55 in 54's lap. You don't see 55 washed with the number 90 next to him into the second level, leaving only a safety to make a tackle and a missed tackle, and here comes a 40-yard run. So what you're saying is he's been really good in helping to stop the run by holding point of attack. I am saying that if I were to tell you through two games this season against Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, that Detroit line, Cam Akers and the Rams and Sean McVay scheming in the run game, that the Seattle Seahawks are third in the NFL at 2.9 yards a carry, something is going right up front. That's what I'm here to tell you. Is it all Dre? Is it all Jaron? Is it rotation? Is it Uchenna? It takes all of them. It takes that whole village in the front seven to do their job. Did you see Belichick throw that flag last night? Poor Bill. Did you see it? I saw him throw his headset. No, you got to see him throw the red flag. flag. It is so freaking funny. I'm going to say it's on my Twitter. Just go look at it, Brock. I promise if this doesn't make you laugh, nothing will. I will. Mora, bring it home. 
takeaways. All right. My last takeaway is that they do need to clean up the penalties. Nine for 80 yards this week, seven for 53 last week. Um, they are tied for third currently in, in the NFL with 16. <laughs> the first oh, I just watched it. <laughs> Isn't that great? While listening to you, Maura, I could multitask. That's Dude. Pretty good. How funny is that? That's pretty good. Got a, how many disgusting. penalties, Mora? Nine? They have 16 through the first two games. Yeah, they had nine yesterday. Yeah, it's be yeah. careful, Paul. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you, you seem to disagree with me, Mora, and Justin. And usually when you do, Salk, you're just not reading the room. Like, usually <laughs> if there's a consensus of three uh-huh. or four, see it, you're not reading the room really well. Yeah. The, the most egregious of those was... The great Daryl Taylor, who, let's face it, oh. he's got some he's got some Bruce Irvin in him. Yeah. No, Bruce, no. You know, there, there so you is. think Daryl Taylor saw the quarterback standing there and thought to himself, this is the perfect time for a cheap shot. I'm going to go drill him. No, I don't think necessarily that. Daryl Taylor lack, got the lack confused. of aware The lack of awareness. Definitely didn't have good awareness. Agreed. There on thousand one. Yeah. Thousand Not two. evading. He thought that the quarterback was, you know, carrying, executing a play fake. Right. And he drilled him. While everyone else is tackling the runner. That happens on a play fake, too. Sure. What if Jared Goff had the ball and saw him coming? He'd be trying to get out of the way. But he wasn't. He was looking the other way. He was executing a play fake. It makes it sound like this happens all the time, and it doesn't. (laughs) I'm surprised it doesn't happen more. (laughs) I'm surprised it doesn't happen more. Is Daryl just a a reborn Bruce? Is there some I think there's some something to some that. young Brucey Bruce. Like, like you know him. what I'll say is that he was in the wrong there very much so, but uh, Nwosu yeah. had his back. He just kept giving Goff the crying baby face. Oh, yeah. he did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was getting fired up. Yeah, because well, it there was, was just a, a mistake. Hey, mistakes the, happen. I don't know why then you there was another. Then there was another voice that intervenes, and I want to come back to that. Oh. I think one of the coolest, most vulnerable and trans... Or do you want to go somewhere, somewhere else? Do you got no. something else for me? No, you got yeah. you. I thought it was pretty cool. When you hear a coach say this after a game that no other coach in the league is going to do, they're never going to do it. They're never going to be as transparent as Pete. A week ago, y'all won and fired. Right? A week ago, y'all are mad at Pete that he's lost his touch, team can't play, yada, yada, yada. A week later, he is on the podium as transparent as he can possibly be in the capital C of culture. What Salk loves to talk about, how do you define culture? I'm going to argue that Pete Carroll laid it out as about as good as he can. He did in a press conference. You will hear it next right here on Brock and Salk.